Today's going to be an interesting sermon. Some of you have heard bits of this back on March 15th, 2020. Do you remember March 15th? It may seem like a lifetime ago, but, but March 15th, 2020 was the first week where we were shut down and sheltering in place. Remember that? That first weekend when, when we couldn't have church in here? Many of you didn't even know about the orchard back then, but we had church online for the first time. We didn't know much about coronavirus back then, did we? We didn't know how deadly it was. We didn't know that it mainly threatens the vulnerable. I mean, we didn't know how to bake sourdough yet. We didn't know that liquor stores were essential. Most of us had, had never worn a mask before. And most of us had never coughed in public and been looked at like a, like a pariah. I mean, there's so much we didn't know on March 15th, 2020, the first week of, of lockdown. I do remember there was a lot of fear nationwide, in our valley, in our church. There was, there was a lot of unknowns, panic even. Remember all the toilet paper off the shelves? And it was that week that God led me to set aside the series that we were currently in and to speak a, speak a specific message of peace that we would need that first week in, in the weeks and the months afterwards. That first week of online church. And, and so many of us got on and logged in that morning and our first online Sunday it was kind of exciting, remember? It was the first week that you wore your pajamas to church. Huh? That was good stuff, wasn't it? And that message that, uh, that God asked me to speak, it was timely for that, that week, March 15th. And as I've researched and as I've prayed through what we talk about today, I believe we need a fresh breath of what it means to be at peace. Because today we're in the holiday season of Advent. And we've, light, we've um, lit the peace candle today. Week two, the candle of peace. And so today we're going to look at peace. Because it's, it's not March 15th anymore, is it? We're not the same people we were at March 15th. We have a lot more understanding. We have a lot more fear in other ways. And we have a lot more frustration as well. And if we're honest, though, most of us, we don't have much more peace than we had back then. It's just changed a little bit. And when peace is absent, we find ourselves in one of two emotions. We've talked about this. When peace is absent, we find ourselves in fear or frustration or, or some combination of the two. And I would say that those two words, fear and frustration, they define our nation in a big way right now. Fear. Maybe it describes what you're dealing with each day. Or maybe it's frustration that, that dominates your thoughts and your emotions. But but, but fear and frustration are the two sides of the same peaceless coin. So we dive in today to find out why living in fear or living in frustration will lead you to make decisions that you never would make otherwise. And some of you, I know this about you, some of you love horror movies. You know those scary movies? I can't stand them. I can't stand scary movies. In fact, to this, to this day... I have never completed the movie The Shining. As soon as those two um, little girls come on screen, I'm, I'm like, nope, I'm out. I, I can't even watch it. But when I was a kid, anytime there was a sleepover, inevitably, someone would bring a scary movie. Remember the days back of Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th? Remember those movies? And it always fascinated me when watching those because the movie starts out with what seems to be normal people. And you wouldn't know at the first of the movie that these people have just severe mental illnesses. They seem to think and they seem to speak clearly and they act pretty rationally. 
But if you fast forward that movie to halfway through, you will see those same rational people making absolutely ridiculous decisions. In fact, Ico has made a commercial of this that just captures it perfectly. So let's watch this video as it paints this picture. Let's hide in the attic. No, in the basement. Why can't we just get in the running car? Are you crazy? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. Smart. <laughs> yeah, okay. If you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. That's what you do. I'm being quiet. That's perfect, isn't it? That's exactly how it goes. They, they, they painted the ridiculousness of those movies. When fear hits, people just can't seem to think straight. When peace is gone, people make decisions they never would have made otherwise. As silly as those movies are, there, there's something very real in this. People tend to react and respond differently out of fear. And here's something that's true. Peaceful people make better decisions than fearful or frustrated people. When you're at peace, you know, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, the decisions that flow out of that peace are wiser than the decisions you would make out of fear or out of frustration. I mean, have you ever been very frustrated with your significant other and made a rash decision out of that frustration? When I do that, what usually follows that, that decision out of frustration is me at some point having to go back to Amy and apologize and tell her I was wrong. You see, I haven't made many wise decisions in our marriage if I'm making them out of frustration or out of fear. I'd like to think that if I'm running away from Freddy Krueger, I'd make a wise decision, you know? I'd like to think that if I was, I was running away from one of those guys, I would, I would choose the running car and I would get in it and drive away and, and leave. And, and you, surely you would choose to, to dial 911 instead of running into an abandoned warehouse. Those decisions are funny. I mean, it's funny to think of, but, but what's not funny, what's not funny is how we as individuals have been making decisions over this past year. Throughout this COVID season, there have been more affairs, more divorces, more addictions, more abuse, more neglect, and more poor decision-making than any other point I can remember. And let me be clear, those are not the symptoms of a virus. Those are symptoms of frustrated and fearful people making decisions they never would have made out of peace. Here's the bottom line that's true for our lives. Fearful people make fear-filled decisions. Frustrated people make frustrated decisions. Desperate people make desperate decisions. I mean, a desperate spouse makes some pretty desperate decisions. Decisions made out of fear and decisions made out of frustration, both of these are reactive choices that most likely we would not have made if we had been at peace. And so here's the bottom line. I believe we need a reality check today about where we find our peace. Because you and I, I mean, if we're honest, we're a lot more fearful and we're a lot more frustrated than we'd like to admit. We might hide it, but underneath the surface, there's a lot of fears and a lot of frustration. You see, fear and frustration, these are, these are dashboard lights telling us that, that, that something is wrong below the surface. So let's look at someone in the Bible who went from fear and frustration to a whole new paradigm of living. The disciple Peter. 
He's one of my favorites. I mean, the one who constantly puts his foot in his mouth, he says the wrong thing, he, he took risks that no one would take, and he failed spectacularly. He's passionate, he, he gets angry, he gets frustrated, he reacts out of fear when things are hard. He, out of frustration, he cuts someone's ear off. Jesus rebuked him for it. I mean, he's, he's you, he's me in a big way. And here's a little more about Peter. When we find Peter in the Bible early on, he is a religious reject. He's failed out of seminary of that time, and, and he went back to work with his dad in the family fishing business. At some point, he was invited by a rabbi, a spiritual leader named Jesus, to follow him. And true to his form, Peter on the spot dropped everything and switched careers. He followed Jesus for three years, listening to him, learning from him, being mentored by him, seeing amazing things and miracles, and being shown things by the Son of God that... that no one else got to see. We want, he, Peter was there and he, he watched Jesus be arrested. He saw him on trial. He saw him being beaten and finally he crucified. His hopes were dashed. His faith was, was crushed. In fact, Peter ran back to his old life and started fishing again. But that isn't where Peter's story ends. And we know that. Because we later find Peter as a fierce believer in a resurrected Jesus he goes on to write his own books of the Bible and he performs miracles and preaches to thousands and he boldly goes out into the world and proclaims the message of salvation in Jesus. He preaches, he teaches, and he won't stop living out his faith in action to the point where because of this, he finds himself imprisoned. And that's where we look at Acts. Acts verses 12, 1 through 5. King Herod decided to go after some of the church members. He murdered James, John's brother. When he saw how much it raised his popularity ratings with the people, he arrested Peter as well. All this on the, during the Holy Passover week. He had Peter thrown in jail, putting four squads of four soldiers to guard him. I mean, Peter's preaching about Jesus has him thrown in jail. Uh, 16 soldiers assigned to him. There's bars, there's locks, there's chains, there's guards at every exit. There's no natural way for Peter to get out of this. This is also the night before his trial. The next morning after Passover, he'd be, he'd be brought before King Herod, and, and he wouldn't have a trial like you or I would get a trial with you know, jurors. No, King Herod would simply choose what he wanted and it was known in Acts 12, we've already read it, his intentions were clear. He already killed James and he saw the popularity got him. His intentions were clear with Peter. It was a popular thing to do, to have Peter arrested. And it would be a popular thing to have Peter killed the next day. And that's where we find Peter here in Acts. He's 12 hours from his execution and torture. I mean, this was Peter's last night on earth. How would you feel if you were in his position? less than 12 hours from your death. How, how would you feel internally? How would you sleep that night? Here's what gets interesting, because we, right here in Acts 12, because Peter, wait a second. You see, before I continue this story about Peter in Acts 12, I want to rewind 15 years to another moment where Peter was about to die. Back in Mark 4, Jesus and the 12 disciples, they're traveling across the sea at night in a boat. And while they're out there in the middle of the sea, a squall comes up. 
and it blows in and it hits the boat and hits them. And this storm with harsh winds, it blows the wind into their faces and it mats their hair down upon them. The boat is rocking, the wind and rain is flying in sideways, soaking everything. White-capped waves begin to crash into the boat and, and spilling water over the sides. And this, this is a small wooden fishing vessel. It has no roof, it has no engine, it has no covering. They're exposed. They're struck by the storm in the dark of night and the water begins to pour into their boat and fear rises in their hearts. This is a very tangible and real fear that we're looking at here. There's a chance, a good chance, that this boat is capsized or sunk and they're thrown into the ocean. And what happens, what would happen? I mean, if they were thrown into the ocean, they'd be very vulnerable. You see, each of these disciples has a pre-existing condition in their bodies that requires oxygen. The mortality rate, if they get thrown into the water, would be, would be pretty high. You see, this isn't an irrational or imaginary fear. The Bible says that the water was swamping the boat. Death was a true threat here. Now, while these disciples are being gripped by this panic, they, they look to their rabbi, right? They look to the Lord. They look to Jesus, their teacher, their mentor, the one they've been following daily and the one who's doing these miracles, who teaches them about life and death and, and one quick insight about what it means to be a disciple. This is important to know. A disciple would follow the rabbi, not to just learn what the rabbi has to teach, but to learn to be like them. This is different than our Western way of learning where we want to master the information. In this culture, they wanted to become like their master. So they looked down to their master, their Lord, their rabbi, and find him in the bottom of the boat. And guess what he's doing? Guess what Jesus is doing during this storm? He's resting peacefully. Jesus peacefully sleeping in the storm. When the disciples could take it no longer, they roused Jesus out of his sleep and begged him to, to, to save them. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the waves, peace, be still. And suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was great calm. Immediately, he calms the storm. The wind turns to peace, downpour stops, the, the waves, that word breakers, are just smooth as glass. It happens so fast that, that the disciples are still sitting there, probably just clinging to the side, white-knuckled, wide-eyed, yelling, and Jesus is calm as the water now. He turns to them and he asks them this interesting question. He says, why do you have so much fear? Why are you so afraid? They're, 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 these are 20-year-old guys. Their hair is plastered to their heads. They're soaking wet. They're, they're still breathing heavily from the adrenaline. And they were on the verge of, of drowning. This was a legitimate threat to their life. An external storm had, had moved in and created an internal storm that still raged. And Jesus said, why are you afraid? He follows that question with a second one that's even deeper. Why do you have so little faith? Jesus draws a connecting line between our fear and our faith. The first question, why do you have so much fear? And the second, why do you have so little faith? There's a real and a robust correlation between where you're having fear and what your faith is in. When it comes to how our faith affects our fear, we have to ask, what is our faith in? Jesus' two questions are getting at this very thing because the disciples' fear reveals 
reveals where their faith is placed. They actually placed their faith in, in a little wooden boat that they were holding on to so tightly. If this boat fails, everything fails. So be very afraid in that moment, right? And like the disciples, I believe oftentimes all of our faith is, is clinging to the world around us. Most people's faith is first and foremost in themselves, in their ability, their position, or our own ego. This is normal human stuff here. This is nothing new. Another place that we humans love to place our faith in is in our resources. We place our faith in our financial accounts, or other people coming through for us, or the market, or our profession, or our job. Our faith is in our savings account, and when it, when it gets to a certain level, fear creeps in. Our faith is in our job, and, and when something threatens our job, fear can rise up. You see, life brings storms. That's just part of life. And if our faith is in ourselves or in our resources, a big enough storm can come through and just shake us to our core. Or a perfect storm, enough perfect storms of small size can have us living in anxiety daily or just consumed by frustration. This is the human temptation, to have faith in ourselves or faith in our resources. This is why the disciples were so distraught. Their faith in their own swimming ability and their faith in the little boat they were, they were in were both sinking. And Jesus confronted this misplaced faith in his disciples. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, circumstances of life will always storm around you. Storms are going to happen. And your faith better be holding onto something more stable than yourself and your resources around you. Listen, your fear may grow out of the natural storms, but you better have your faith rooted into something that's supernatural. Because if we, if we, place, if we place our faith in the natural, when, not if, when the storms come, we're going to be clinging to small wooden boats to save our life. We're going to be clinging to small wooden savings accounts and, and news reports and, and relationships and, and jobs or whatever it may be for you. If our faith is in our natural world and ourselves and our resources, then both our faith and our fear are just at the mercy of circumstances. Whatever comes my way is going to rock my faith and steal my peace. Our faith is one storm, one pandemic, one election, one lockdown away from being shaken. And then we live in fear and frustration. See, Jesus modeled something by his own actions here. The, the fact that Jesus was resting while the, they were panicking is a lesson for them. Because remember, they're trying to be like him. He's saying, listen, guys, there's a place. There's a place where you can place your faith. You can put your faith that no matter the storm, you can rest easy in it. In fact, while the whole world is at wake at, wake at night worrying, you can sleep through the night peacefully. When the storm hits, you can sleep in peace. That's what Jesus did. That's what he showed them. That night in the boat, when the storm hit and the, the waves were crashing, young Peter was feeling this panic rise within him. His peace was gone. Storm above, dark, choppy water below. And yet Peter learned that day that Jesus can overcome whatever circumstances, whatever storms would come our way. 
Peter saw his Lord sleeping while he panicked. And remember, as a disciple, he didn't want to just learn what Jesus knew. He wanted to be like him. He saw what it looked like. He saw the model of faith bringing peace and sleeping through the storm. Peter got a glimpse of this on how to guard his heart no matter what storm comes. And, and, from, and from there, Peter, Peter continued to follow Jesus day after day, learning more and more to be like him. He saw storms come. He saw Jesus conquer more than those things. He saw Jesus do miraculous things. Peter's faith was strengthened. He saw Jesus crucified, and it broke him. But, but, but seeing a resurrected Jesus, his faith grew to new heights than it ever had before. And when young Peter was panicking in the boat, as that young guy, Peter learned a lot between there. And 15 years since, Peter dedicated himself to becoming like his rabbi. And so now we go back to where we started, Acts 12, 15 years back in the future. And we find this older, wiser, more mature Peter. He's full of faith, but he's also in jail. His wrists are chained to his captors. Tomorrow, he'd be brought before a screaming crowd and probably be tortured and killed. Think about what it would be like to be Peter in that instance. I mean, his circumstances are terrifying. The chances of survival are lower than it was back in that boat 15 years ago. He thought that that squall and that storm was something to panic about. Tomorrow's crowds and Herod's death sentence, that's a tempest that would shake anybody at their core. Peter's life was going to come to an end. I mean, if I were Peter right here, I must admit, I don't, I don't think I could have slept at all. You or I would probably have anxiety just laid there imagining, like, like what's the next day going to be like? Twelve hours from execution. His imagination could, could run wild with, with images of being dragged out in front of everybody and, and, and held up in front of a yelling mob and being publicly humiliated, asked to renounce Jesus. And, and when he didn't, then to be killed like his friend James. The storm would have been intense. I mean, do you think you could have slept at all that night? Tossing and turning, worried, frightened. I mean, much less than this keeps us awake at night, right? I wouldn't blame Peter if he was up late, just shaking, crying, worrying about what was going to happen. But the book of Acts, verse 12, 6, let's look at this. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was fashioned with two chains between two soldiers, and Peter was sleeping. Now, when Peter was panicking in the boat, what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. And here, 15 years later, many storms in the future, when others would have been panicking, Peter is, I mean, just like his Savior, Peter's sleeping. Peter had seen Jesus resting amidst the storm. He had seen his Savior have peace under the greatest threats, and even through torture, and even through death. He had seen heaven hold Jesus when hell came against him. He had seen all this. And remember, Peter wanted to be like his master, and so he followed Jesus as close as he could. And through faith, Peter had become more like Jesus. 
Orchard, Jesus offers us a peace that surpasses all understanding. The, the more you're with him, the more your faith is found in him through whatever storms may come. We find ourselves today in a year-long storm that seems overwhelming at times. There's no part of our society or our life that has not been impacted by all this. And if you want to know where your faith is placed, look at how fearful and look at how frustrated you've become with it all. Because both are the symptoms of a lack of peace. Jesus spoke about this in John 14, verse 27. He said this, I'm leaving you a gift, peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace I give, listen, the world can't give it. So do not be troubled and don't be afraid. I would say frustration would be troubled and afraid, well, that's obviously fear. Don't give in to those. Be at peace. The world's peace depends on earthly circumstances out there going well. Heaven's peace depends on divine resources. When all things go wrong around us, heaven's peace holds within us. The world's peace comes like through me trying to control. But heaven's peace comes when I learn to surrender more to God. The world's peace relies on, on power. But heaven's peace grows through prayer. The world's peace leads to worry every time. But heaven's peace, even in the fear, can lead to worship. The world's peace is, is one moment, one moment from fear, but heaven's peace is one moment at a time in faith. The world's peace is shaken in the storm. Heaven's peace is proven in the storm. Jesus said, I, I don't give peace I, don't, I do not give to you peace like the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The circumstances around us are storming. The world is a tempest. But there's a God who can, who can hold you in the storm, and there's a peace that can hold your heart and your mind, no matter what it brings. Peter learned to rest in the storm. Peter learned to sleep in peace through whatever the world brought him. And listen, you can learn this as well. You can learn to rest in your mind, in your heart. You can learn to sleep at night, no matter what the world may bring you. Anxiety, anger, and frustration, and all the other things that are, that are rooted in fear, they don't have to dictate your life any longer. There's a way out. Peter found it. It's in pursuing a relationship with Jesus and learning to rest in his peace, regardless of the storm, to be like Jesus, to place our faith in him, no matter what happens out there. Listen to these promises in the Bible. Listen to these. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and those whose thoughts are fixed on you. Which just has me asking, where do you fix your thoughts? That's going to impact your peace. What are you watching on TV? That's going to impact your peace. Where do you think Peter's thoughts and heart were focused on while he was there in that jail cell? You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Psalm 4, 8 says, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. 
He says, you alone will keep me safe. Not my savings, not my abilities, not my relationships, not my tiny boat out in the squall. No, no, this, this is, a, is a heart that has learned that I, I can trust in God because that, he is the one who keeps me at peace. He is the one who keeps me safe. And finally, the one I, I memorized this next verse when I was in high school. I think in sophomore high school, I memorized this. And it has been with me my entire life through many storms. It has been said under my breath, in my head, or declared out loud throughout my life. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, you are the God of peace and you give peace at all times and in every circumstance. All times, every circumstance. There is no storm that can shake you if you are rooted in God's peace. So we pursue him, we, we read his word, we discuss his truth in our growth groups, we, we root our faith in his presence, we, we live our life saying yes to him and, and saying no to the things that he asks us to say no to. We learn to be more like him, like Peter. And you know what? When we become more like Jesus, we sleep through the night, no matter what the world brings our way. And so, Orchard, that's the, that's the call today, is to re-examine where your frustration is and where your fear is. What are those levels? And remember, both are indications of a lack of peace in the storm. You don't have to go through all this being frustrated. You don't have to go through all this being fearful. You can go through this with peace in your heart that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus that surpasses understanding, but it's found only in him. You can't generate it. You can't go out there and find it. It is a divine resource from heaven. So pursue God. Root your heart in his word. Orchard, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that through this winter, we continue to find out what true peace is and root ourselves in it. Love God love people.